Chapter 49 The Seven Words from the Cross Our Lord spoke seven times from the cross. These are called His seven last words. In the scriptures, the dying words of only three others were recorded, Israel, Moses, and Stephen. The reason, perhaps, is that no others are found so significant and representative as these three. Israel was the first of the Israelites, Moses the first of the legal dispensation, Stephen the first Christian martyr. The dying words of each began something sublime in the history of God's dealings with men. Not even the last words of Peter or Paul or John have been human legacy, for no spirit ever guided a pen to reveal the secrets of their dying lips. And yet the human heart is always anxious to hear of the state of mind of anyone at that very common and yet very mysterious moment called death. In his goodness, our blessed Lord left his thoughts on dying, for he, more than Israel, more than Moses, more than Stephen, was representative of all humanity. In his sublime hour he called all his children to the pulpit of the cross, and every word he said to them was set down for the purpose of an eternal publication and an undying consolation. There was never a preacher like the dying Christ. There was never a congregation like that which gathered about the pulpit of the cross. There was never a sermon like the seven last words. The First Word The executioners expected him to cry, for everyone pinned to the gibbet of the cross had done it before him. Seneca wrote that those who were crucified cursed the day of their birth, the executioners, their mothers, and even spat on those who looked upon them. Cicero recorded that at times it was necessary to cut out the tongues of those who were crucified to stop their terrible blasphemies. Hence the executioners expected a word, but not the kind of word that they heard. The scribes and Pharisees awaited his reaction, and they were quite sure that he who had preached, Love your enemies, and do good to them that hate you, would now forget that gospel with the piercing of his feet and hands. They felt that the excruciating and agonizing pains would scatter to the winds any resolution he might have taken to keep up appearances. Everyone expected a cry, but no one, with the exception of the three at the foot of the cross, expected the cry they did hear. Like some fragrant trees which bathe and perfume the very axe which gashes them, the great heart on the tree of love poured out from its depths something less a cry than a prayer, the soft, sweet, low prayer of pardon and forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They do not know what it is they are doing. Luke twenty-three thirty-four. Forgive whom? Forgive enemies? The soldier in the courtroom of Caiaphas who struck him with a mailed fist? Pilate the politician who condemned a god to retain the friendship of Caesar? Herod who robed wisdom in the garment of a fool? The soldiers who swung the king of kings on a tree between heaven and earth? Forgive them? Forgive them why? Because they know what they do? No, because they know not what they are doing. If they knew what they were doing and still went on doing it, if they knew what a terrible crime they were committing by sentencing life to death, if they knew what a perversion of justice it was to prefer Barabbas to Christ, if they knew what cruelty it was to take the feet that trod everlasting hills and pinion them to the limb of a tree, if they knew what they were doing and still went on doing it, unmindful of the fact that the very blood which they shed was capable of redeeming them, they would never be saved. Rather, they would be damned. It was only the ignorance of their great sin that brought them within the pale of the hearing of that cry from the cross. It is not wisdom that saves, it is ignorance. Men on dying either proclaim their own innocence or condemn the judges who sentence them to death, or else ask pardon for sins. But perfect innocence asked no pardon. As mediator between God and man, he extended pardon. As high priest who offered himself in sacrifice, he pleaded for sinners. In a certain sense, the words of forgiveness were spoken twice, once in Eden, as God promised redemption through the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent of evil, now as God in the form of the suffering servant fulfilled the promise. 
So great was the divine love manifested in this first word from the cross that echoes were caught of it through history, such as Stephen asking that the Lord lay not to their charge the sin of those who stoned him, and Paul who wrote, I was deserted by everybody, may it be forgiven them. 2 Timothy 4.16 But the prayers of Stephen and Paul were not like his, in which forgiveness was identified with his sacrifice. Being himself both priest and victim, he was upright as a priest, prostrate as a victim. Thus he interceded and offered himself for the guilty. Abel's blood clamored for the wrath of God to avenge the murder of Cain. The new Abel's blood, spilled by jealous brethren of the race of Cain, was raised to lift the wrath and to plead for pardon. 